You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. The grass is made of yards of highly chosen and highly chosen. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel Live and Busting. <laughs> busting with energy. Um, today, I've got a, an absolutely fantastic film. In fact, I've, I've been out and about watching a whole load of fantastic films in, and all very different from each other. But anyway, this particular one is a documentary and it's by a very uh, skilled cinematographer, Jane Castle, who's had a, a long uh, career uh, but this is a very personal uh, and her first uh, feature documentary, right? So this is where she gets to be in control of the reins of the filmmaking adventure. And it's about her pioneering uh, cinema mother, Lilith, Lilith uh, Fraser, who you may not have heard of, but you'll hear more about her as uh, Lilius Fraser. You'll hear more about her uh, in the interview that I did with uh, Jane Fra- uh, Jane Castle. The film is uh, a really fantastic film, really worth uh, going out there and uh, watching. It comes out later in April. So first up, you'll hear um, my chat with uh, Jane. Well... It's incredibly moving. In fact, it made me cry. Oh, wow. Yeah. I hope it moved you in a good way. Oh, yeah. No, it's really, really excellent. But uh, it tells a great story. Obviously, it tells your story, but it tells a a marvellous story about your mother, uh, which um, people may or may not be aware of. Do you want to go into it for my listeners? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, in terms of my mum, she made her first film in uh, 1957 and it was one of the first films um, shot by a woman in Australia. And she wanted to be a cinematographer, actually, but the blokes in charge told her she wouldn't be strong enough to carry the cameras after she'd already made a film. Um, And so she kind of had to become a director and then she teamed up with my dad so she could have a front man and ended up making over 40 films, including what we believe is the first land rights film in Australia. Lilius Fraser is her name, yeah. Yeah, Lilius Fraser was her name. And it's fascinating because uh, this particular film that you've made, which is actually, I guess, a um, your goodbye to your mother, really, I suppose, or uh, going through yeah. the embers. Yeah, goodbye film and also getting to know her film. You know, I I got to know the woman I didn't really know that much about during her life. So in a way it was 
connecting us when we were less connected during our lives. Yeah, yeah, which is, of course, one of the reasons why it was so affecting to me because, of course, everybody feels this about their mother, I think. I think it's one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult relationship we have. And I think there's a line in the film um, that goes something like, it's so easy to blame the mother. You know, it's really, it's a tough gig being a mother. And I don't think any mothers get it right. And um, it's it's really, it takes a long time. It took me a long time as mum's daughter to really understand um, the difficulties that she was going through and, and what got in the way of our connection. However, this film is also a historical document. I mean, it's a personal document and a historical document. So uh, it goes back into her life as well. And um, she writes really fluent letters. And uh, the thing that she says about family not being enough, uh, it can't replace creativity. Yes, and I think, you know, that that line um, goes to one of her core um, inner conflicts, which was wanting to have a family and bring up kid, kids, but also have the, having this really strong creative drive. And I do believe the, crea- the creative drive won out um, in the majority of, of cases with, with her. You know, she, she really... She wanted to be free and she loved making films. So, you know, she was never her happiest than when she was out on location, directing, shooting. And she, you know, she hated cooking and cleaning. You know, we just got, you know, we got the standard chops and veg, um, but under duress. And I don't think she ever baked a cake. And, um, you know, it just was like, well, who would? Like, you know, for me, um, that would drive me crazy. And I think a lot of mothers with young kids, you know, they must go crazy too with, you know, just having to do all this domestic work. So it was a real, real um, conflict with her. And, um, you know, no one ever really resolves that. Um, but she did, she did her best. And, and I think, um, you know, in terms of the intergenerational trauma I talk about in the film, I think that there's also intergenerational creativity and that certainly got passed down to me and my sister, which I'm really grateful for. The film itself, the way you've made it, because, I mean, you are a very experienced filmmaker and um, it, it's got a very light touch and you use a lot of different um, sources, like like I mentioned, the letters and stuff like that. Like you mm. uh, show the letters, like we see her handwriting. I, I found that mm. really compelling. You're, you're a great uh, forager for inf- uh, interesting uh, visualisations. Yeah, well, yeah, I love I love foraging around in, in the archives like that. You find so many surprising things and all these absolute gems and it wasn't even until we're right in the midst of making the film and I was still uncovering all these amazing little tidbits of information and and her letters and um yeah look I'm an experienced cinematographer but this was my first uh feature documentary so I was kind of you know figuring out how to do it you know learn by doing as I went along and, you know, we, you know, because the story is narrated by me, we did have a lot of 
visual um, gaps to fill. We, we didn't have the usual talking head interviews. Um, we decided to go for this really personal, really visual style. And um, luckily, we just had this mountain of um, archival material, letters and photographs and home movies and industrial docos and films that I'd shot and my still photos. So, yeah, it ends up being really rich and textured, which is one thing I really like about. Yeah, it's very impressionistic, isn't it? And and it, it's uh, as a result of that, it's quite sensory, very sensory. Yeah, that's a really good word and I think immersive and visceral um, and it's great to see it in a cinema, if people can get to see it in a cinema because it's quite a different experience. Um, you know, as a cinematographer, you know, while I tried to prioritise story over visuals because this, you know, I was a writer and director, the the love of the visual really came through and we had some phenomenal people working on the film. Um, Sam Petty is one of Australia's top sound designers and Carl's Bertland, um, a bit of a genius composer in my opinion. Um, they all kind of, you know, I think they loved the film because it was such a creative art project and they got to really, um, you know, contribute in, in a different way to many of the kind of more standard genre films. I also think that um, I noticed in the credits there were a lot of people who have been long-time filmmakers uh, who must have been responding to your subject. Yes. Um, look, while, while Mum is pretty much unknown, um, you know, to the general public, she is very well known or was very well known in the kind of Australian documentary scene. And um, so she's quite highly respected because she was such a trailblazer and kind of like a proto-feminist. So, yeah, we had a lot of people donating to the film who are kind of up there filmmakers and a lot of, we used a lot of people's films in the film, you know, as part of that textural kind of um, spine for the film. So we used a lot of the feminist films from the 1970s and documentaries from the 60s and, and and 50s and and then films that I made yeah so it really it really took a village to make this film you know quite literally you can see from the credits you know there's hundreds of people that we thank and and hundreds of donors and um, yeah even even though it's like a very personal film and it feels very intimate it was actually quite an open a bit of an open source um, filmmaking process we've you know, getting feedback and getting people to help, you know, give input to the script and because um, I really needed all the help I could get. Well, that's really interesting. Um, the other thing that was really telling about the film, which I really like because I have a lot to do with editing uh, for radio, is that you're not long-winded. You, you tell a piece and then you let it go. I love that. Yes, and, and that... That um, it might sound natural, even though it's concise. It just took so many years of polishing, of like clipping out those unnecessary words and trying to say things in a not just a concise way, but also a, a poetic way. So that um, while I was telling the story, the words also worked on a metaphorical level. They 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 seem to be doing two jobs 
um, if you know what I mean, like you know how poetry kind of describes something, but it also it has a, a, a deeper meaning. And that, that really helped with um, creating all these layers of the story and saying so much in so few words on so many different levels. But, it, yeah, that definitely was hard work, very, very hard work, that writing and rewriting. You know, I must have written, rewritten the film, you know, hundreds of times to get to that, you know, that um, minimalist kind of um, style. It's very elegant. It's very. It works really well. And um, mm. the other thing is, from the point of view as of a daughter making a film exploring her mother and her fa- your father really, as mm. well as your own um, creative. Uh, it's very traumatic, actually. Process. I mean, recently I I wrote out uh, stuff about. I remembered about my childhood for my daughter because she asked me to do it. And I realised after being quite religious about it for a while, I actually found it really traumatic. (laughs) Yeah, because it brings up things from the past that you may not have processed. And, yeah, I was dredging up all sorts of things from the past. Yeah, and they're... They've been sitting down there, way down there, probably driving a lot of kind of unconscious behaviour without you knowing it. But then when you bring it up, you actually got to um, face it. And and I, one of the things I really tried to do in the film was to drop down into this ever deeper deeper level of honesty, because that's what I could tell made a better film, you know, rather than keeping it on the surface level. But in that process, I I had to be really, you know, it was a bit um, excruciating being that honest because, you know, I I talk about the family violence, which I was implicated in myself. Um, and what what um, worse taboo is there than hitting your mothers? Not, not many um, things that, you know, you'd rather not say in public. But, you know, I, I did it because um, the film demanded that. Of me, and and probably your process with with telling these stories for your daughter is a bit similar. Like you want to be authentic, you want to be honest, because that, you know, it's where it's at. Really, it's what gives people the the best chance of kind of, you know, being being emotionally healthy and and keeping on growing. Yeah, which is uh, probably the key to the film. I mean, there's many keys to this film. It's a really great film, I think. Hi, my name is Sophia Turkovich, the director of Once My Mother. Uh, you're listening to Radio 3CR, the real radio station. And you're on Show Real with Annie, and we're, we're having a chat with Jane Castle. And I realised I didn't, uh, I was so enthusiastic about this film, I forgot to tell you what the film's actually called. It's called When the Camera Stopped Rolling. Um, it's. Uh, about Lilius Fraser, a pioneer of Australian cinema, and it's done by Jane Castle, who's her daughter. But uh, not only does it tell you a, an incredibly um, poignant story and uh, tells you about a woman who was a pioneer of Australian cinema, but it's the way the film's made that's so captivating. So um, Jane uh, is actually really well known as a cinematographer in an earlier incarnation of her career uh, to the point where she uh, was uh, making um, film clips for prints and uh, people like that. So, you know, high flyer. Uh, she's completely changed her direction. And um, I so let's continue. That's the reason why I brought up uh, 
film clips with her um, in the next part of this uh, uh, chat before we get into the rest of uh, 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 delving into this fantastic film called When the Camera Stopped Rolling. The other thing that I found really fascinating uh, from a um, practitioner's point of view, an artistic practitioner's point of view, your journey, you become an artist. Yes. Yeah, and I think I always probably was an artist. And, you know, this happens, uh, I notice, with a lot of people who go into the film industry, industry in inverted commas, because it is often a bit of a, you know, meat factory, um, they start out, you know, wanting to make art and they think, oh, film's great. And then they end up in some technical job and they never kind of make it to write a director. Um, and that was a little bit like me. I, I wanted, I loved art and it, it was like film images that I, I t- turned out I was good at them. And I got into film school and then I just went on this kind of juggernaut um, as a cinematographer and I was you know in the US I was shooting you know commercials for banks and terrible horror movies and crap that just did not align with my personal values and the and the creative um, aspect was it was a bit of create there's a creativity in cinematography definitely but it's in a that very narrow window and it just I got to the point where it wasn't matching my values. It was a really stressful job and I didn't feel like I was fully, I was creating to my full capacity. Yeah, so I threw it all in and started again and started to pursue my own creativity as well as becoming an environmental campaigner for about eight years. Um, And I feel like now with this film, you know, it's been the full flowering of my creativity like I've really been writer director and cinematographer I've been able to fully utilize my creativity and it's been so much more satisfying than you know just you know reading the call sheet and turning up on set and you know doing the best I can but having all these constraints and and always you know serving this this um you know some other other person's vision so it was really nice to, for, for it to be my vision. Um, very difficult, of course, different level of difficulty, but a real privilege. Well, actually, it goes back to the politics of art, doesn't it? It's similar to what your mother found too. Uh, it, it's the politics of art, but like uh, fashion is fascinating because it's actually the commercialisation. It's an intersection of commercialisation of art and cinematography is the same. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And it, it's, it's a tricky place to be. And music videos, you know, is a, a similar, you know, in the music industry, totally similar. You know, you've got to have a record company, got to get a deal, got to make um, music that people find, you know, that, that's popular. And I mean, I think shooting music videos, which I did a lot of, um, it's probably the most creative. It's still commercial, of course, because you're selling a band, you know, an image. You're playing to people's projections of what they want a pop star to be and what it represents to them, all that stuff. But um, in terms of the music video making, as a cinematographer, it was the most liberating area to work in because you could really be quite off the cuff. You could try things out, um, experiment, and there's this lovely, you know, nexus of music and image that 
you can just play play around with till your heart's content. Well, yeah, I, I saw the early, in the 1980s, I saw the early uh, flowering of film um, uh, music videos in Australia and the stuff that happened in Australia was on the wave, like we were on the wave mm. at that time. And uh, I, yeah. I remember, you know, people making the models clips and, uh, uh, and some of the midnight oil clips and stuff like that, which you were involved in. I saw some of that. And I remember uh, eventually it got to the point where that was all art and then it turned into we have to have uh, uh, page three girls in this as well. Mm, yep, yep. That, thank you for reminding me of the, <laughs> the downside of music videos. Oh, my God, the girls. Oh, and just, you know, reinforcing these horrendous stereotypes for I guess for the male male audience, the male gaze. Uh, yeah, no, that that's something I'm not so proud about. You know, in, in some of the work I did is just reinforcing dreadful sexist, um, you know, ideas of what women are and what their purpose is. Yeah, yeah but but it was but it was a shock to the filmmakers who were making them. That's my point because yeah. they were making yeah. art. They were yeah. making art at that time. Yeah, they were, they were. And then there's this whole commercialisation comes in. I think I was, I probably came in at the end of the art phase. So I was more the commercialisation phase. But there were some wonderful artists just doing the best kind of stuff, you know, cut up animation and weird and wonderful stuff um, before, yeah, it kind of hit the market and people realised, oh, this is really Oh, we can make money out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny to to watch. I mean, yeah. you know, it's sort of a naive uh, uh, appreciation. But this business about art uh, for the sake of art and poetry and the fact mm. that you incorporated that horrible story, I'll have to say, about the poor mm. the woman who was knocked down, mm. that was just such a powerful piece in within the film. Yeah, and it just, it really, that story just came out almost by accident because um, originally I actually didn't want to make a film about my mum. I wanted to make a film about death, um, like this kind of philosophical, spiritual investigation. And um, But my producer said, oh, look, just go off and do some writing. And just it pretty much fell onto the page, um, this story of my mum's death and the weird synchronicity around it. Um, yeah, so... Um, then the film just kind of followed in the wake of that um, because that, that story about her death set such a high standard for the rest of the film in terms of the writing and the power of the word and the kind of aesthetic um, synchronicity. Yeah, so we just kind of went from there. How, did, how long did it take for the whole process to happen? Because there's an awful lot of drama in this. I know it's a personal story, but you've actually created a very succinct drama yes and that's a really good point um look it took me personally about 10 years and it took us eight years from getting the funding but i think um i think what you're alluding to in terms of this the narrative like it's a it's a big story and it took a long time to work out how to tell it um and what bits to tell and what bits to leave out and it was a very iterative 
when you talk about art, like the, the way we made this film was much more like you would make an artwork. We kind of built it from the ground up and kept trying things and then, you know, like, oh, that didn't work, let's try something else. And that's kind of why it took about eight years to build from the ground up. Um, we didn't have a plan to start with and then just implement the plan, which is what a lot of filmmakers, most filmmakers have to do because it's so expensive otherwise, yeah. you know, time is money in film, literally. So um, eventually I figured out that it was like a dual journey um, flashback narrative with two, two characters. So I'm a character and mum's a character. And we both have really different um, character project, uh, trajectories that happen at, we have our kind of plot points at different times. So I ended up having to graph out the whole film because I just, it was so overwhelming, you know, the, the, the depth and the scale of this story um, to be able to tell. I had to actually visualize it in a graph, plotting um, our character points and the, the character arcs of the story. It was like, oh, my God, because the one thing I wanted this film to be was, even though I'm like a cinematographer and an artist, I actually wanted it to be a compelling story overall because I just knew, you know, it's it's a tough job to hold an audience for 75 minutes. It really is not an easy thing. And so that was where my focus went. And, yeah, it just it took a long time to figure out how to do it and to make it work and, to, to have the story make sense and the two intersecting characters and starting, you know, starting with mum's death and then going back to the beginning and going forward and having lots of little flashbacks in between. It was complicated, but it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't made by plan, like by design. It was just like, oh, um, figuring it out as we went along. A lot of feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Feeling it out and listening to the film, like, you know, we really had to put our um, our will aside a lot of the time and our ideas and just go, okay, the film's saying, chuck out that scene. All right, it's got to go, you know, kill your babies, <laughs> as they say. Yeah. And then, you know, just listening, listening and, and trying to respond to what the film was telling us. Well, as I said, uh, it made me cry. It made me cry. Aww. Which bit did it make you cry in? No, I finished, I finished the film. And I just mm. felt a well of emotion. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. A very respectful um, tribute to your mother. Yeah, so it's a neat thing you've done. I think you've done a great job. Um, what what happens to the film? When's it having a release? Um, it's hitting the cinemas in late April. So we're going to Adelaide on, I think, the 20th of April. And then we're in Canberra for the... 21st and 22nd then we're start in Melbourne on the 21st in Melbourne and then in Sydney on the 24th it's going to be at the Dendy and Randwick Ritz and hopefully we get people to go see it so the season can last as long as possible and then then um, we'll, we've got an impact producer on board who's going to really try to get the film out to communities and, and reach really reach into the nooks and crannies of audiences who we may not get the first time round with a theatrical release so hopefully this film will have a long life yeah well congratulations it's a great film jane thanks so much and thanks for your questions i really you really kind of get the film in a lovely way yeah thanks for talking to me 
All right. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye. And that was uh, Jane Castle, uh, When the Camera Stopped Rolling. Really worth going to see. Coming up next is uh, Published or Not. We'll go out with a cool tune. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river You can hear the boats go by You can spend the night beside her And you know that she's half crazy But that's why you want to be there And she feeds you tea and oranges That come all the way from China And just when you mean to tell her That you have no love to give her Then she gets you her wavelength and she lets the river answer that you've always been her lover and you want to travel with her and you want to travel blind and you know she will trust you for you've touched her perfect body with your mind Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him He said all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them But he himself was broken Long before the sky would open Forsaken, almost human He sank beneath your wisdom Like a stone And you want to travel with him And you want to travel blind You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.